right, and welcome to Fast Break Breakfast NBA Podcast. My name is Keith, here alone for a solo interview episode. Chuck and John will be back sometime in the future. Might do one this week, a little post-draft pre-free agency. Again, we haven't settled into what the exact off-season routine is going to be, but rest assured there will be podcasts coming every week, all summer long. We'll try to make some evergreen content for entertainment we can put out during those vacation weeks, but also going to keep doing team interviews and breaking down the free agency news as all that happens. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash breakfast. We've been plugging that a lot because that's the easiest way for you to support us. All that money goes directly to us, and we got some benefits for you there. The most popular being the Slack chat where you can join other Fast Break Breakfast fans and me, Chuck, and John and talk about basketball, movies, and whatever else around the clock on the Slack chat. That runs $3 a month. So for the price of one iced cup of coffee, you can support our program, and we will love you eternally for that. So to do that, go to patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. My guest today is the managing editor of Queen City Hoops and a co-host of the Hornets podcast, Buzz Beat Radio. Mr. Spencer Percy. Spencer, how are you doing? Doing well. Uh, doing real well. Excited for free agency. Um, pretty happy to have the draft behind me. Uh, eats up a lot of my, my life in, in May and June. So, so yeah, doing, going well. Appreciate you having me on. Are you a close follower of the draft? Are you learning about all the prospects and coming up with your own big board and, and all that comes with that? Yeah, I've been a nerd for the draft probably for the better better part better part of this decade. Um, so so yeah, I would consider myself kind of you know gung ho on all that and the entire process. And so yeah, QueenCityHoops.com, uh, the site that I manage. You know, we usually um, put a lot of eggs in the draft basket and really <laughs> kind of go crazy with the coverage there. And it's usually our busiest time of year in terms of traffic. So so yeah, we enjoy it. And you know what, the Hornets usually have a pretty good draft pick, so it's a season. <laughs> A season to be excited about. Yeah, I keep myself willfully ignorant. I like I know literally nothing. Normally the week before the draft, I feel good if I've learned like generally who's going to be in the lottery and like what, what position they play. I always maintain like eighty percent of them are gonna be terrible. So I'm like, I don't need to fill my brain. Like I don't have enough time to fill my brain with these guys who are gonna be busts, but ever since I stopped watching college basketball a few years ago. I uh, when the draft rolls around, I'm always like, "Who's this guy? Who's this guy?" But again, yeah. that, that's why we have the sites like you guys, yeah, to to get me get me up to speed quickly. Um, yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you're right because you know the numbers tell you, like, look, don't get invested in this process because most of these guys aren't literally ever going to be in the NBA, you know. So, uh, but but it's fun. And um, sorry, didn't mean to cut you off there. Oh, no worries. Uh, before we get into the Charlotte Hornets and go any further. Uh, Important. Our tradition is to talk about breakfast. Did you have a chance to eat breakfast today? You know, I, I'm not a big breakfast guy. Like, if I eat breakfast at all in the morning, it'll be like a banana, you know, maybe some yogurt. But I tell you what, I do have every morning is coffee. So I, I would guess I would kind of consider that my breakfast. I know that's probably an underwhelming answer for you guys, uh, but yeah, I'm not a big breakfast guy. 
it's it's not underwhelming in the fact that that's pretty much my daily routine as well. Is I you know I'm just I'm just drinking coffee. We uh we went on a long stretch there where a lot of the basketball writers we were talking to or I was talking to weren't eating breakfast very much. But then you know then we had a streak of people who were just bragging about these huge breakfasts. So I guess maybe the off season we're back to the guys just you know just a cup of coffee, a little bit of fruit. Do you have a special though? Like if you're on a special occasion, like a or a brunch, if you will, uh, do you have do you have like a go to for what that would be? In terms of like an actual meal, I'm saying if you're treating yourself to a special meal before, say, 11 a.m., what do you go to? Ah, uh, mm, that's a good one. Um, yeah, it would definitely be like a brunch kind of meal. I, I would say probably like I'm a big breakfast burrito guy. Um, like uh, steak and eggs. You know, I'm a, I'm a steak and eggs guy if I'm having yeah. like a, an actual meal before 11 a.m. But again, that's rare. You know, so. Yeah, I'm pretty boring with the food uh, department at breakfast. <laughs> no worries. All right, so the, the Charlotte Hornets last season, they kind of underwhelmed or had a disappointing season, had a couple of injuries to some key guys. Uh, what is the attitude in Charlotte now coming off last season, not making the playoffs and being kind of hamstrung. Well, now, I mean, obviously they got Dwight Howard, but now like they, there's not a lot of things they can do with the roster. Yeah, no, there's not. Um, I mean, the Hornets are, they're already capped out, you know, going into free agency here and, you know, they've actually got to do some cap gymnastics probably, probably to stay under the tax line. Um, so they got, you know, they don't have a lot of flexibility coming up in free agency, but they do have a lot of, uh, maneuvering that they, that they need to do to make sure they're in good financial shape, you know, going into the season, uh, and then, you know, uh, avoiding probably using the full mid-level exception, which is the one exception. Well, and they have the biannual exception as well. You know, the two things um, they can use this summer to actually improve the roster. But, of course, use the full exception of one of those and you're above the cap, you know, then you're you're hard capped. So uh, they have to try to avoid that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the attitude, I think, in, in Charlotte after last season uh, amongst the fan base was was certainly disappointment. Um, you know, I, I think after the se- you know, following the 15-16 season, uh, you know, fans had had hopes that the Hornets could, you know, really keep it going off of that momentum in what felt like should have been, you know, a first-round series win. You have Miami down 3-2 to two, coming back to Charlotte. And then Dwayne Wade starts raining in threes like he does in the playoffs <laughs> randomly all the time. It's, un- it's unexplicable. Um, but, uh, you know, they lost Jeremy Lin. They lost Al Jefferson. Um, they lost Courtney Lee. You know, we knew it was going to be difficult to replace those guys last season. Um, I think the Bellinelli trade felt better than it actually ended up being at the time being. And, uh, and, and you know, I think that getting rid of Alfred Jefferson, I don't think fans really feared that uh, so much. Um, but I think the real – uh, missing link was, was Jeremy Lin. I mean, he was able to play with Kimba in that 15, 16 season and having two playmakers on the court at one time and allowing Kimba to, to be off of the ball, uh, more so. And you, you could just, you could run really creative offense, uh, with that lineup. And when they weren't able to retain Lynn, uh, I think that really, really hurt them. Um, so this last season, it was just really a, it was a depth problem, uh, for the Hornets. Um, and in 15, 16, you know, they didn't really have, they didn't have any all-stars, on that roster uh, on a really good team, but they were super deep. So it was kind of the, it's been the tale of two seasons, you know, here in Charlotte the past few. So people are disappointed, but uh, they had a good draft the other night. And uh, I think, you know, I'm sure we're going to get into the Dwight Howard trade. I think that was a win for the Hornets, Uh, you know, with very little flexibility, as we talked about a little bit earlier, 
I think Rich Cho has really done a pretty damn good job uh, so far to get this team ready to play next season. Yeah, one of the things that's really hamstrung the Hornets last year was that lack of lack of punch on the second unit. I think the big question obviously coming into the season was how do they replicate Jeremy Lin's offense? You know, Ramon Sessions is not quite that player. Obviously not having that that extra offensive kick. And it really seemed to harm them. I don't know if it was if it was that specifically that harmed them uh, in close games because the Hornets had a pretty bad record in close games. They didn't they were 0 and 6 and overtimes. Uh, so it seems like the, they, you know, like the team was close enough to getting to the playoffs and in a stat, I continually cite, uh, to the point of, I'm now derided by my other co-hosts who want me to shut up about the Hornets, the, the Hornets being three and 17 when Cody Zeller didn't play secret underrated Cody Zeller. Uh, you know, so, so the team, the team was on the precipice of obviously being a, a playoff team. And now, as you said, Rich Cho, I think did do a pretty good job uh, with the Dwight Howard trade. And it's funny, like when the news broke of the Dwight Howard trade, my initial reaction for the Hornets was kind of revulsion. Like, oh no, like don't, like don't tie yourself into this. But then it's a trade that you can easily talk yourself into because of what, you know, like because of, I guess there's a lot of reasons because of Steve Clifford's past relationship with Dwight Howard and then looking at Cody Zeller's injuries and maybe adding another big body means Cody Zeller can play less, get banged around a little less. Maybe so he'll be on the court more because of Dwight being on the team. So what was your reaction as someone who covered the Hornets of the Dwight Howard trade? I mean, I just can't believe that Miles Plumley has now been involved in three of the worst trades uh, <laughs> of true. like the modern age of basketball. Um, in I don't know, less than what, like sixteen months. I mean, it's just crazy. So I, I really couldn't believe that the Hornets were able to get off his um, dead money. I mean, certainly his dead money at this point. Um, I, I just for like thinking about the Hawks, I just can't really understand like why the Hawks felt like they needed to take on Miles Plumley's contract there you know like if you don't want if i mean it's obvious that atlanta did not want dwight howard like under no no circumstances so at that point like why don't you just tell him not to show up to the facility and just and pay a salary for a few more seasons i mean why i just can't understand like why the horn or excuse me why the hawks would would take on miles Plumlee's uh money but, but and that's really the kicker in this trade you know, Dwight Howard has about ten million more in overall salary than Plumley, but Plumley's on the books through the nineteen through the nineteen twenty season, where Howard comes off you know a season earlier. So Atlanta's living with twelve million uh, that they absolutely didn't need to. You know, on the back end of this deal, that is just it's blasphemy. Uh, you know, when <laughs> I when I really think about it, it doesn't make any sense. Now, from the Hornets' perspective, for what you said, I mean, I I think that you know Dwight Howard he has two years left. This could totally end up being a disaster like many other places have been for Dwight Howard um, or Dwight Howard has been for many other places. And, uh, and I think it would be still a win for the Hornets uh, because when Kimball Walker is due uh, to probably get his max contract uh, going in the 1920 season, um, you know, Howard's coming off the books. So uh, where Plumlee would have eaten just enough into the Hornets cap situation to make it sticky and, and have them over the cap um, 
when they re-signed Kimba, presumably. So they just the Hornets really increased their flexibility moving forward. Now on the court, you know, I don't know that the uh, the Dwight Howard Renaissance is going to happen under Steve Clifford, but if there's one coach in this entire league that has a chance to extract something out of whatever's left in Dwight Howard, I think it's Steve Clifford. So I think that made the Hornets feel better uh, about making this deal. And then the last hidden gem in it all is, and then the Hornets went and ruined it by by trading the pick, but right. we're able to we're able to actually move up in the draft <laughs> also with this deal, which is actually probably the craziest thing to me. Um, and then they went and traded it on draft night for uh, almost $2 million. Um, so I, overall, I think it's a win for the Hornets. I, I don't know how the Cody Zeller, Dwight Howard minutes, um, uh, you, you know, I don't know how those minutes are, are going to be applied and, and how that works. And you know, both of these guys have had very clear and obvious injury history, um, in the past two or three seasons. So you, you feel like those two can just kind of play off of each other. Um, hoping they don't get injured at the same time. Um, and you feel like, you, you know, you're, you have good depth in the front court and, and maybe these are two guys that at, at this point in their respective careers are built to kind of play like 23 to 25 minutes a game. So that's up to Clifford to kind of figure out. Um, but I think, you know, again, I think it's a win for the Hornets. Uh, I don't see how this trade, uh, on paper could ever be a loss for them. And, you know, the Hornets fans, again, they're just going to hold their breath and hope that Dwight Howard, um, is able to just be a shell of himself because I think if he's that, then I think the team's better immediately. I really do. Yeah. I, I also take the same perspective of like, it's just a definite clear win from the Hornets. And then I look at the extreme measures the Hawks went to just to get rid of them where I'm like, well, maybe I don't know. Like Maybe there's something like, like just that, that secretly terrible where, uh, it's going to, it's going to erode all of the kind of the good feelings that the, the Charlotte, Charlotte, locker room has, you know, uh, developed over, over the last few years. Um, it seems like only because I can't imagine Dwight Howard coming off the bench. It seems like they would probably start Dwight and then, you know, Cody Zeller is a backup. And then I guess us, us basketball fans, writers, we're probably thinking then Cody Zeller would like finish the games, but like, what do you think the rotation is going to look like with also getting Frank Kaminsky in the work? Like, will we see Zeller Kaminsky, front courts like playing alongside each other for extended stretches yeah I, I mean i think that's where it gets like really interesting i think that marvin williams is probably a better fit playing next to cody zeller and i think that frank kaminsky is probably a better fit playing next to dwight howard okay. um so you know now how clifford figures all that out um in the lineup is, is gonna be very difficult i mean he's got a tough job coming up this season but you know i mean frank um, and not very efficient shooting the ball from behind the arc at this point in his young career, but you know, he's going to shoot him. You can count on that. <laughs> and the Hornets are, are still holding their breath that he's going to figure out how to make them more. So just his floor spacing component, I think fits well next to Dwight. And then the fact that he's just a pathetic defender, uh, and, and really can only guard one position, uh, which is power forward in the NBA. So, you know, having a, a true rim protector, you know, at the back line of the defense in Dwight Howard, I, I think helps cover up a little bit um you know some of the defensive deficiencies for Kaminsky and you know look Charlotte's defensive scheme is is having the the center really sit back just drop back on pick and rolls really you keep a foot in the paint almost at all times um you know it it doesn't Clifford does not ask his big to come out and hard hedge on pick and rolls and, and things like that so you know I think this is a good defensive system for Dwight Howard especially you know this point in time in his career where 
he obviously doesn't show a lot of energy on that side of the floor. And then number two, he just, you know, physically and athletically, he's just not the same guy he once was. So uh, I think it's a good defensive scheme for him. Um, and then, you know, again, I think Zeller and Marvin go well together because, you know, Zeller's not uh, a true rim protector, but but he makes more of a difference back there um, defensively than people probably give him credit for. He can move around to a lot of different spots, cover a lot of ground uh, as Marvin Williams can. And Marvin Williams is probably really he was the best shot blocker on the team last season. Um, as crazy, as crazy as that sounds. So I I think those four or five pairs kind of work the best together, at least in a vacuum. But, you know, again, I mean, this is something that is going to be a little bit of trial and error, uh, as, as I think the Hornets start the season. And, you know, I, I, I've been on the record saying I I wouldn't rule out Dwight coming off the bench. I wouldn't rule out Dwight starting, um, and, and Zeller starting some games and Dwight starting some games and, and they're just they're gonna have to play with this thing and see what what works best. I would not pencil anything in uh, with this lineup and rotation in the front court just yet. And, and Steve Clifford has has shown that he he'll he'll try most anything uh, to get his to get his team kickstarted. So I think everything's in play. Throwing a wrench in those front court plans is Michael Kidd Gilchrist and his complete inability to stretch the defense. Do you think he's a part of this Hornets future or or like this team's core? Because again, as someone with no skin in the game, an outsider, when I'm just making my fantasy roster on like NBA 2K or something, and I'm looking at at the new roster of the Hornets, I'm thinking, oh, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, for a team that's almost capped out, you know, up to the luxury line, maybe is this a movable piece because of his salary's big, like to try to get either a backup guard or like a shooter on the wing? I mean, to me, his salary is probably uh, the one most likely to be moved. If there, if there is one to be moved here, excuse me, in in the next few days before free agency, Um, you know, or, or, you know, you could see somebody like, you know, Michael K. Gilchrist involved in some kind of sign and trade deal, which is, really the only way uh that the hornets can, can make a real difference um you know this offseason you know having someone else you know signing their player and trading him and, and mkg somehow involved in that deal um you know his salary isn't awful i mean it's 13 million for let's see he's on the books until i should know this off the top of my head already uh but yeah king yours is He's on until the end of 2020 season, a 13 mil every season. So it's not awful. I mean, I think there's probably a market for that contract. Um, but I just don't think anybody has a real good feel about where exactly that market is. Um, you know, I always thought that he would fit really good in Denver. I think they need a defensive presence on the wing out there. Um, and I think they have some interesting pieces that they could return to Charlotte that could help offensively. I mean, I like Will Barton. I mean, Gary Harris is obviously – um, you know, a high commodity for a lot of teams, but you know, I don't know that Denver does that deal, but anyways, I'm going down a rabbit hole. I mean, I think yeah. to your point, Kid Kid Gilchrist, uh, his contract is probably the one that can move the needle for Charlotte and, and, and really get them away from that tax line, um, and give them some breathing room, um, to then even go ahead and use the, the full MLE, um, and kind of fill out this roster. So, I mean, I don't think they're going to trade Zeller. I know that's been a little bit of speculation since the Dwight trade, but I really think he's staying. Um, and then you look down the rest of this roster, I mean, Jeremy Lamb and then maybe Marvin Williams. I would I would say Lamb and, and Williams are probably the only other two 
somewhat attractive pieces that they could go out the door bringing something back. Yeah, I was curious about Lamb because he's he's obviously a guy making seven million. Which again, when you when you're pressed up against that luxury tax, where it's like they do they want to use him or are they going to prioritize keeping him as one of the few guys who has shown he can hit a three? You know, I don't know if consistently is the right word. I guess the Hornets have a lot of guys who can kind of hit you know in that like mid thirties range. No, no one really consistently. Uh, to the 40, I guess outside of, I think Kimba was pretty, wasn't he close last year or um, he's been shooting the ball, uh, you know, real well the last two seasons. I'm curious, a couple of, uh, of random trade targets where these aren't the things that would get your team super excited, but might be uh, functional. Um, and again, I don't know if, I don't know if I, these are like the kind of things where I feel like both teams fan bases would say no. So uh, we'll bear, we'll bear that in mind. I'm curious, uh, like, like for Jeremy Lin, like if the Nets want to, mm. Go yeah. ahead and do that. I think that's one where the Hornets fans obviously welcoming back Jeremy Lin. But again, then yeah. you're still stuck contract-wise because that's still another another big contract. Um, you think that's something that Hornets fans would get behind? Yeah, absolutely. And it's been actually a talking point here on Hornets Twitter and Hornets Reddit here in the past probably 72 hours. I mean, but there's really only one deal that would even be a possibility. Um and that is, I mean, the Hornets would have to probably pick up Ramon Sessions' team option, which is about six point two million, um, you know, for next season, and then add Lamb's right. deal, which is seven million next season to that. Uh, now, is that enough in of itself to get Jeremy Lin from Brooklyn? Probably not. Uh, I, could the Hornets tack on a second round pick and possibly make that happen? Maybe. Probably, you know, probably not, though. I mean, what's your what's your feel there? If you're Brooklyn, do you do Sessions Lamb? And remember, Sessions is, you know, a glorified expiring contract lamb for just two more seasons and then a second round pick or that's not enough. I can't remember if you're allowed to trade like can Ramon Sessions be traded before July 1st? Like, I can't remember what the rule is, you know, because like if, if you're the Nets and you can trade him and then decline his option. Like I, I'm not sure you can do that. Like, like, like then I would be more inclined, but otherwise, no. I, I like, I think I would definitely hang on to Jeremy Lin because he's, he's still popular. And if I'm the Nets, I want to see what I have more in the Jeremy Lin, D'Angelo Russell uh, backcourt. I was thinking more, and this might again not be something the Nets would be interested in because of it. There might be too much skill duplication, but between like Rondé Hollis Jefferson, is if the Hornets would move Michael Kidd Gilchrist. And then try to sweeten it like for Jeremy Lin, just if the Nets would be like, let's see what we have with like another wing defender. But again, the Nets desperately need shooting. And I don't know if the uh, if the Hornets would be willing to give up uh, Michael K. Gilchrist. Uh, another couple. These are I consider these to be unpopular players. Um, Austin Rivers, Brandon Knight or Jordan Clarkson. These are all the backup like scoring ish guards, which I think one of those teams uh, for just for the sake of getting off the contracts would take Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Do any of those uh could you stomach any of those options? Yeah, I don't I really don't see Charlotte going after uh, any of those guys. I mean, yeah. Honestly, as as weird as it sounds, I might like Austin Rivers as much as any of those players at this point. I mean, Knight and um and who's the other name you mentioned uh, Clarkson. there? Clarkson. Uh, Clarkson, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just the Hornets would get so much worse defensively in, yeah. in a deal like that that I, I just don't think Clifford would sign off and not that he's going to make the final call, but that, that, I think it's very unlikely. I hadn't thought about the Austin rivers and I don't even know what his contract looks like. I think exactly. it's 12 million for the next two, something to that 12, of- 12 for the next two. Yeah. I mean, I think I definitely think the Hornets could, could kick the tires on that. Um, 
And you're talking just MKG for for real. Pretty much just just yeah, just just pretty much pretty much straight up. Uh, Hornets Hornets fan base would just detest that deal. I know they would. (laughs) Yeah, but but just thinking about it out loud, I actually don't hate it that much. Just and I'm just. I don't have a ton of faith left in Michael K. Gilchrist. Um, I, he's still super young, so I haven't completely buried him. But like, it's just it's a Ferris wheel of just sadness with him. Um, and I just don't ever <laughs> see him really turning a corner offensively. It's just so bad on that end, and it just is just so obvious he doesn't have any confidence. Um, so yeah, I actually wouldn't mind that deal. But the other one. You know, a few folks were talking today and asked me about, hey, what about Ricky Rubio? You know, the Wolves are trying to get off him. Right. I mean, th- my only thing with that deal was like the only thing I see that could work uh, is like Mar- a Marvin Williams, Ricky Rubio swap because, you know, Minnesota doesn't want dead money back. They're trying to actually create more money to get to close to max cap space. I mean, I think they want to possibly go chase Paul Millsap. Uh, they're at about 20 now, I think, in cap space. So, I mean, it, or if they can't get extra space out of a Rubio trade and just dump him, I think they want to get a shooter back. And they need a power forward that can shoot. So maybe Marvin's a fit there. But I just don't even know if that's the right deal for the Hornets either, taking Rubio from Marvin just because of Marvin's defensive presence. So, I mean, all of this discussion is just is further proof that, I mean, if the Hornets are going to make a deal at all, they have to be so, so creative and it's just going to be hard to pull off. So they really just got to decide, okay, which of these non-guaranteed deals of O'Brien, uh, Johnny O'Brien, Travion Graham, Briante Weber, are we going to pick up or, or or decline? And then are we actually going to use the full mid-level exception and hard cap ourselves going into next year, uh, which seems a little bit like a suicide mission to me, especially if in the middle of the playoff race and need to fill a hole um, or are we going to use a portion of the mid-level exception? Uh, and I just, I don't know what you're going to get for that. What's your sense as a fan to, to wrap up? Like, well, what's your sense as a fan on this path that the Hornets are on? It, it is not a path of contention. It's one of those of shoot for the playoffs. Best case scenario is probably home court win a series like, are, are you comfortable with that? Like, we're going to write out Kimball Walker's decent contract for the next couple of years and just build as much as we can just to win some games? Or would you like to see some kind of drastic move be made? The, the whatever, the theoretical blow it up. Yeah. Well, like, to me, I mean, if you're looking down the road a little bit, like, this upcoming season, I think if it just went horribly and the Hornets, like, doomsday scenario won like 32 or 33 games right i think they would start kicking the tires on trading walker's deal uh it would be he would have two years left after that um or excuse me one year left after that uh 12 million so you 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 have as much value as you're going to have with him at that point and then you try to get off dwight's um, you know, expiring contract as well. And all of a sudden you're looking at a, a complete teardown. Uh, I don't know what you do with Nick Batum, but otherwise I think you're going to pretty much see the Hornets doing what they've been doing for the past three or four seasons now, which is, you know, compete for a, a, the middle of the Eastern conference playoff seed and try to get home court advantage of the playoffs. I mean, that's what they really want. Um, they're after that playoff revenue. Michael Jordan has been hell bent on winning, uh, really, since he arrived as the owner uh, in Charlotte, um, you know, aside from the one rebuild um, that he just had to do, he had he didn't have a choice. 
Um, you know, but I would say again, the doomsday scenario this season would change the course, I think, and they would look at moving Kim and Dwight. Uh, I think if they make the playoffs this season, then kind of the breaking point uh, from the present and what we're doing now and then where our future is, is when Kimba's deal runs up, uh, which is also when Dwight comes off the books, uh, when also Frank Kaminsky, you got to make a decision on him moving into the future. Um, at that point, you can move off Michael K. Gilchrist. He's only got a year left. So that summer of 2019, depending on where the team is at that point, uh, that's going to be the big decision time for Charlotte. But they're locked in for the next two years. So I don't think you're really going to see any maneuvering in terms of, hey, we want a, a you know a home a home court advantage playoff series in the Eastern Conference. I mean, that's the goal for the next two seasons. There's you know, there's no grand plan to get any higher than that, and they and they don't really have any flexibility to do it. But uh, but again, you know, the only other scenario is if this coming season just goes so awfully that I think they would think about trading Kim's contract. Yeah, that's that sounds right. I, I'm all for that. I am I'm very into every team just win as many as you can and not really worry about it. I feel like there's there's honor in winning. There's honor in just chasing the playoffs. Like we don't all have to be a uh, title title or tear down. All right, uh, last question. Uh who is your all-time favorite Hornet and or Bobcat? Oh, wow. Um that's a tough one. I don't know that I really have. I'll give you a few. Um Okay. Certainly was a big Glenn Rice uh, fan. I mean, Glenn okay. Rice OG. would have been a, a Hornets guy. Yeah, yeah. when I was, I don't know, like 10, 9, 10, you know, 11 years old. So um, definitely have some great Glenn Rice memories. Baron Davis would be in my top three for sure. Uh, and then... I'm going to need a post-Bobcat. Yeah, I know. That's, <laughs> that's, who, that's who my third was going to be. That's a tough one, but I got to go with Jared Wallace. I mean, he was the first all-star, you know, for the Bobcats and um, kind of a fascinating career when you really actually go back and and look at, uh, you know, how good he got and achieved all-star status. And then just literally a number of years after that, he's just dead money. Uh, Pretty remarkable, (laughs) actually. Uh, But, yeah, Jared Wallace, you know, Crash was his nickname, Um, you know, was was a part of uh, the Bobcats teams that started to – earned some respectability, um, and he was a fan favorite. So I, I think those would be my three. I mean, the Larry Johnson, the Muggsy Bugs. I mean, I was super, super young then, so right. I have yeah. a lot of appreciation and respect for them, but I just don't have the memories I have for guys like Glenn Rice and Baron Davis. Yeah. All right, well, that's great. Uh, Spencer, thanks so much for your time. Uh, tell people uh, your Twitter and uh, your podcast and where they can read you and all that good stuff. Yeah, awesome. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at... Uh, QCH Spencer uh, at QCH S-P-E-N-C-E-R uh, QueenCityHoops.com uh, if you're looking for anything and everything Hornets check us out and then um, also a co-host for uh, BuzzBeat Radio uh, it's a podcast uh, part of the Almighty Baller radio network so we're throwing out episodes about once a week So that sounds great you guys check him out alright Spencer thanks so much for your time we'll talk to you soon yeah man appreciate having me on thanks All right, thanks to Spencer for taking the time to talk with me. Remember to go support our show at patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. Really appreciate all of you who have done that so far. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook. All right, you guys are the best. Thanks for listening. And remember, 
breakfast is the most important thing 